0: want to invite you to open up your bibles to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6 today is where we're hanging out. Want to welcome all of you who are online watching and worshipping with us today. Spring is just around the corner. And next weekend, I believe is the time where you set our we set our clocks ahead 1 hour. So if you you don't do that, you'll actually be an hour early to church probably shouldn't tell you to do that. Oh, praise God. Listen, if you're just joining us, picking up with us right now, we have been in a series called Matters of the Heart where we are walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Uh, one of the longest uh, pieces of teaching that's recorded in its entirety from start to finish that's recorded in the Gospels. And uh, Matthew has it all, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we're in the second half of chapter 6 today. And we're gonna we're gonna get there here in just a moment. But I, I, I want to point out today, uh, the first Sunday of March is, is really always an important Sunday for us as the life of a, as a church because the first Sunday of March seven years ago was our first Sunday in this location. Uh, seven years ago today on this Sunday. Now the number date changes, but the first Sunday stays the same as you know. But listen, seven years ago the number seven means completion. And uh, this is a year of, of some significant dates. And I'm not one who gravitates to numbers all the time. But when when there's more than one that kind of happens, I, I think I have to pay attention to that. And I shared some of these uh, with you. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, as we started this particular series, and um, in this that was one big one right there. And one of the things that the Lord is setting us up for this uh, this spring is he's, he's prepa- preparing us through this this particular series, Manners of the Heart. As we get to the end of this series, the end of March, we're going to be, um, I'm going to lead our, our congregation through a prayer of spiritual vow renewal to the Lord. That as a, as a church body, as, as believers, as followers of Christ, a, a time of sincerity and, and uh, reflection, and, um, and, and and thankfulness, and a time of renewing our hearts to the to the Lord, a, a, a spiritual, vow renewal. So you'll hear more of that as we go through the month of March, but I want you to be ready for that. That's what Joshua told the people of Israel in Joshua chapter three, when it hit, when it was his time to lead, he told the people, he said, Hey, we're getting ready to cross over the Jordan, go into the promised land. We're actually going to do it. And, but here, before we do that, here's what we got to do. Consecrate yourself, set yourself apart. Right now, today, because tomorrow the Lord will do wonders for you and among you. And if we want God to do wonders for us tomorrow, we have to set ourselves in preparation today. And so that's what we're aiming and shooting ourselves for in, in, in that direction, aiming in that direction. And so also in kind of Easter is a month away uh, as well. And then a couple of weeks after Easter, we're going to have water baptisms, uh, the, kind of the middle of April. We're planning to have water baptisms, and the Lord has laid it on my heart. This is my 30th year in serving the Lord, knowing Jesus, just being a follower of Christ. Hey, I'll take that because only God is good in all of this thing. And so, but 30 years, uh, and the Lord has put it on my heart to actually get baptized again, to be water baptized again. And so, I just have this vision in my mind that. Um, that I'm hopeful God will, will will do more than what I'm even thinking. That's what He says in Ephesians three twenty. That I'm, I just see all these pic, these pictures in my mind of many people coming to get baptized. I see couples coming in together to get baptized. I see families getting into the water tank together to get baptized. And so I, I'm just expectant and believing. In fact, we really have set our our. Uh, prayer direction this this spring in praying for the lost and praying for the prodigals to return to the Lord. There's no doubt that there that, that if you, in any time there is spiritual battles and spiritual warfare that goes on and, more, and it happens more when we set our sights intently on Jesus. the kickback, the resistance, the opposition from the enemy really goes into play. And and I just am feeling that today. I'm feeling that there is some serious spiritual opposition to what God wants to set in motion, to what God wants to break through in our lives and what he wants to do in your heart and in your families and in this church. And so I'm asking you to to pray with us through this month and through this series as we approach Easter and and, and get to that to be prayerful about praying for the lost, a lost friend, a lost loved one, a lost neighbor, um, maybe a stranger your, your path may take you across that you can pray for. Uh, And pray for the prodigals, the ones who have tasted and seen how good God is but have left the table and are tasting things of this world right now. Pray them back to the table because the table is set. The table is ready. And at Jesus' table we're all welcome. We can all come and sit. He prepares a place for us. And so I just want to encourage you to get your faith up. Amp your faith up. Pray and believe God to bring people into Him. And again, it's not about seeing a lot of people at church, it's about seeing heaven populated and hell decreased. I want to see many souls taken out who are destined for hell right now and come to the destiny that God has for their life. And so I just ask you to join me pray and believe for that and to trust the Lord to do a, a real renewal in the hearts and lives of his people here at our church at New Life Church. And so I'm excited for that, praying for that and believing God for that. And so listen, that's what we're going, we're traveling through this Through this Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is literally on the mountainside preaching and teaching this message. And we're going to pick up in the second half of chapter six. And this is that whole part where he talks about don't worry and, you know, store up treasures in heaven and, you know, seek the kingdom of God first. And he tells us not to worry again. And he says, don't worry again, you know, that, that part. So we're, we're, we're going to get into that part, and, and I've been preparing for that this week, and, and uh, my mind's been wanting to worry this week. How about that? Jesus said, don't worry. And what does my mind do? Tries to worry. It's like a parent telling the kid, you can't go over there or eat that candy right now. And what do they want to do? Sneak around and get that candy because you said don't do it. And, I, and I'm like, okay, Lord, then I, I need you to help me in this because I don't want to just be one who teaches it and preaches it. you got to help me to live. Don't worry. Anybody else with me on that today? Nobody else has any worry problems? Nobody else has... it Nobody worry? Uh, yeah, I, thank you for being honest, at least halfway honest today. I worry. Man. Matthew 6. I'm going to... I titled the message, uh, Where, Who, What? Where, Who, What? I thought about talking about the whole Abbott and Costello routine, who's on first, all of that, but then I thought that would probably go over most of our heads. And uh, I just... This, B- abandon that. But where, who, what? We're going to look at this in three parts. About and it, it, and it really kind of asks this question, these questions: Where will you store your treasure? Who will you serve? What will you seek with your life? And it gets in this whole this whole uh, Sermon on the Mount. Is this, this one we ca- titled it Matters of the Heart? It gets to the heart and it asks it this way: Where? will our heart be? Who will have our heart? And what will we give our heart to? Let's look at this. Verse 19, Jesus teaching. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal, where your, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness." And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Where will you store your treasure? Where will your heart be? He never said you can't have treasure. He just tells us the two places we need to focus on and choose which place we want to store our treasure. And, and he goes through out and tells us it's best to store it in this place, not that place. And what is that? You're our treasure. Anything that is good and valuable and, and precious in our life, store it. So don't store it on earth. If you store it on earth, there's decay, there's loss, there's damage. You store it in heaven, there is no decay, there's no loss, there is no damage. And what is he getting at? He's getting at where we set the affections of our heart. Where do we set the affections of our heart? To better drill down on that, let's look at 1 John chapter 2 out of the Passion Translation. The Apostle John says this, verse 15, Don't set the affections of your heart on this world or in loving the things of this world. The love of the Father and the love of the world are incompatible. They don't mix. He says, for all that the world can offer us. And he goes in and he's going to tell us three three temptations, three parts of, of where we can be tempted in our heart. The first is this. He says, the gratification of our flesh from the world. The allurement of the things of the world the obsession with status and importance. It says, none of these things come from the Father, but they come from the world. This world and its desires are in the process of passing away, but those who love to do the will of God live forever. Three heart temptations. These are almost really identical in spirit to the same temptations that Eve faced in the Garden of Eden in chapter uh, Genesis 3, verse 6 where the serpent came to Eve and tempted her. And she looked at the tree and she said it was, It said it was, it looked good for food, that the fruit looked pleasant to the eyes, that what she saw that was forbidden actually looked desirable to make her wise. And then the devil came to, to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, just a little before the Sermon on the Mount. The devil came to him in his 40-day fast with three temptations. Turn those stones into bread, if you're the son of God. You you deserve to eat. Jump from the highest part of this temple. God will save you. Bow down to me, the devil said, and I'll actually give you everything you see out in front of you. The affections of our heart. The three temptations of our heart. John says, hey, don't. Don't go for what the world can offer you. Gratification of the flesh, allurement of things, obsession with status, and importance, and those types of things. What Jesus is saying in this part of the text, one of the things he's saying is, hey, open your eyes to see what I want to show you. Open your eyes to see that putting your affection, the affections of your heart into heaven is actually the best plan for your life. He never said you can't have anything in this world. He just said, don't set your affections on this world. Don't be dominated by trying to have everything. Don't, don't be dominated and ruled with the obsession of all of the allurement that the world has to offer. He said, no, don't, don't that's storing your treasure in the earth where you'll eventually have loss, you'll have decay, you'll have damage. He said, no, set your affections on the things of heaven. Set your affections there. It's the best plan for your life. In fact, he later in chap, uh, Luke chapter 16, he tells a parable about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus that he raised from the dead. It's a parable. It's a different story. But this parable here, he, he explains it. and he, he, There was this rich man. He lived in a lap of luxury, had everything he wanted. And there was this poor man named Lazarus who sat at his gates. And he would gladly eat the crumbs that fell from this man's table. In fact, this this Lazarus was so poor and so uh, so sick that it, he had all these open sores on his body that the dogs of the, of the neighborhood would come and lick his wounds. So well, both of them died, Lazarus ended up going to Abraham's bosom, paradise. The rich man died, ended up going to the torments of hell. And while he was there, he looked across this big chasm, this great divide, and saw Lazarus to dip his finger in some water to cool my tongue down because I am in agony over here. And Abraham was like, you can't, that can't happen. It's not possible. He said, well, please send him back to my relatives. I have five brothers and tell them the life they're living is not worth what they're going to get. And that's going to be right here with me. Please send him back. And Abraham was like, well, that's not possible. They have all the writings. They have all of the teachings. If they won't listen to the ones preaching to them now, they're not going to listen to the one who could be raised from the dead to send back. He said, that's not even possible. There you have these two men, one having affections in the world, one appearing, it looks like because he's at Abraham's bosom in paradise, had affections in heaven. And Jesus is teaching us here, and he's telling us, look, you can have your treasure, but listen, put your treasure, your affection of your heart and your life into heaven where there's no rust, where there's no loss, where there's no decay, where there's no damage, where you're sure to get the return on your investment. He said, open your eyes and see this is what I'm offering you in me. And then he goes on. That's where will our hearts be. And then he picks up in verse 24. Who will have our heart? He says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question then is, if I serve God, can God actually provide all my needs? But if I serve money, the question is, Will I have enough to provide for all my needs? It's a question of will God or money have my heart? And he goes on to speak to that. Verse 25. He said, with God, this is why I tell you, he Said that that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Now don't raise your hand, but anybody worry about everyday life? whether you have enough food and drink, whether you have enough clothes to wear. He said, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? He's telling us this is why, I tell you, don't worry about everyday life. And then he uses two examples. He uses the birds. He looks out, he says, look, look out there. You see those birds? They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. They aren't... Are, he said, Aren't you far more valuable than, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And he doesn't stop there. He goes on and uses another example. He says this in verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? He said, Look out at the lilies of the field and see how, how they grow. And they don't, they don't work, they don't make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. One of the richest says, And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So he segues into this about who will actually have our heart. Will God have our heart? Or or will money of this world have our heart? You could the birds... They have everything. Look at the fields, the lilies, the flowers, beautiful as they are. They don't worry about themselves being able to grow. They just do what was put in them to do, and they make it happen. It happens. He says, look, God will care for you. You're more valuable than all of those things, and Jesus is getting that. Look, if you serve the Lord and He actually has your heart, then He will actually care and provide for you see it takes the he's taken all of this responsibility again from the letter of the law that he started out with in chapter 5 and he brings it back to Jesus being the one who came and fulfilled all of the law and so when Jesus is in us and we ha- and he has our heart and we follow him there's a there's a representation that God the Father has on behalf of Jesus in a believer's life that the onus is on our Father, our Heavenly Father, our God. In fact, i teased with this verse earlier, Ephesians 3.20. Our God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Think about that. He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask and even what we may think. Whatever we're capable of asking, He's able to do beyond that. Whatever we're capable of thinking, He's able to do above that and beyond that. Now, He has a time. He has a plan. He has a process. He has things... Uh, to he has the he can connect all of the dots at the right time. Just because he doesn't do it when we want him to do it doesn't mean he can't do it or is unable to do it. The trust factor to our God, okay? So the but the burden of proof and the obligation is on the Lord. In fact, the Old Testament ended in Malachi three, saying this in verse ten: Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be room enough, uh, so, excuse me, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, I will open the windows of heaven for you, and I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in, try it, and put me to the test. The whole idea of provision actually started all the way back, and you see the the um, uh, the outcome of that in Genesis chapter 22 with, um, with Abraham. With Abraham, he was commissioned to go up to the mountain and and sacrifice his Isaac, and as he was about to do that, the angel of the Lord stopped him, and God put a ram in the thicket next to him, and God revealed a part of himself for the very first time as Jehovah-Jireh, meaning the Lord will provide. Meaning he saw that Abraham was true to the Lord, that God had Abraham's heart, and Abraham was trusting God, and God provided for him. That's a that's a name and a characteristic of our God, the Lord will provide. When we're caught and in a place of, 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 and surrounded by what seems to be between a rock and a hard place, and we're trying to figure a way out, trying, trying to figure out how am I going to pay for this? How, how am I going to get this done? How, how, how can this happen for me? God, you see where I'm at? If we can trust the Lord, We will always see Him provide. Now listen, He may not always again do it the way we thought He should do it. Because after going through His provision and looking back on how He provided, His way of providing was so much better than my way of providing. But He works that way. And the Old Testament shows that there and, and, and ends with that and then it carries on in the theme of the Lord providing in Second Corinthians 9. You can look at this example. Second Corinthians 9 verse 6, Paul writes, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much you give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Who will provide all you need? God will generously provide all you need. then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's what he told Abraham. You are blessed to be a blessing. That's just not some cute little Christian phrase that we're supposed to spout out and memorize and say, you know. No, you're blessed to be a blessing. Why? Because that's how the kingdom of God operates. God wants to bless so that you can be a blessing. God wants to put into you so that you can have not only your needs met, but then have some left over to be able to share and help in other people's places of their needs. Anybody ever been helped by anybody? Anybody? You ever been helped by anybody? I'm not talking about be given $100,000, although that would be pretty cool. But have you ever been helped by Anybody? Anybody ever helped anybody in here? Uh, Let me see your hand. Anybody ever helped anybody in here? Come on, work with me, church, today. Aren't you glad that somebody helped you, even if you felt like, man, this is so embarrassing that somebody is having to help me out? You know what that's called? It's called pride. But you know how faithful God is? Even in our faithlessness, even when I have pride working, God's just going to show me something and say, you ain't all that. You might have it together here and there, but you don't have it together there, and that's why I sent them there to help you there. Humbling. Humbling. And he goes on, he says, look, verse 9, the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. He starts out, Jesus does, who... Will you serve? You can't serve two masters. You can't give your allegiance to two people, to two places. It's either God or it's money. And if it's God, the onus is on Him to provide. If it's money, the onus is on you to make it happen. Who will have our heart? And then, thirdly, the last part of this portion, verse 31 speaks to what will we give our heart to. He says, so... He starts, so? Don't worry. I mean, he's like, I can, I can only kind of hear him maybe be casual a little bit. I told you all this, so... Don't worry. Like, as a parent, we tell our kids... So I tell you all this, don't you worry about it. And our minds were like, man, I'd be scared too. Truth be told, parents get scared. Kids, teenagers. We just don't always show it, but it does happen. So don't worry, he says, about these things. Everyday life. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Although... Fashionistas all around be asking that question every day. What am I going to wear? How will I look? These things, he says, dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So he's getting and driving down a point. You don't have to worry, and you can be free from worry when you truly serve God. He never told us in any of the context of Scripture, you go through the rest of the Gospels, he never said you won't have problems. In fact, he said you're going to have problems. He was straight. He's like, you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some trials. But take heart, Take have courage and, and have peace because I have overcome the world. I conquered it. I TKO'd it. I slammed it. I put the world in a tap out situation and it could not tap out. I overcame. So you're going to have problems. You're going to have places you're going to get into that are going to be challenging and difficult. But he says, look, you don't have to worry and you can be free from worry when you serve God with your whole heart. How? How? How can I not worry? How do I keep from worrying? How does that happen? He tells us first, listen, if you don't believe and you don't follow me and God doesn't have your heart, worry will dominate your life. Worry will dominate your life. But if you do this, verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else live righteously and He, God, will give you everything you need. The Greek translation in there says continuously seek. Constantly seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. How do we not worry? How can we be free from worry? Constantly seek the kingdom of God, His leadership, His lordship in my life. Constantly seek His righteousness, His way of doing it, His way of being here. Constantly seek. So when worry is there, when I'm in need and I feel freaked out and I'm scared or I'm afraid or I got a big mountain in a problem that I don't know how to solve or get over, what do I do? Do I live in anxiousness? Do I live stressed out? Do I live in fret? Do I live in worry? Jesus likes don't worry. Seek. The kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. Look, when worry tries to show its face to you, when worry tries to creep up in your life about something, you gravitate to and you seek constantly the kingdom of God. His reign in you. His rule over your life. His lordship over you. It's not just your soul, but it's your spirit, your soul, and your body. It's everything about you. God cares about everything about you. He cares about the test you're going to have this week. He cares about the interview you're going to have. He cares about the problem you have. He cares about everything in your life. But if you want to handle it and you want to do it, then seek first the world and the way it functions, and the way it operates. But if you want God to be in control, constantly make yourself, kneel before Him, humble yourself before Him and tell Him, God, I am scared and I am worried and I just don't know what to do in this situation, but I'm just going to tell you about it. That's seeking the kingdom of God. That's not complaining. That's not whining. That is telling yourself, Self, you can't make it happen, but God can make it happen. One of my favorite parables is in Matthew 13, the parable of the mustard seed. Chapter 13, verse 31, Jesus tells this parable The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. And it grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches. The kingdom of God is like this mustard seed, starts small but grows big. In fact, it grows so big it becomes the largest of the garden trees. And it doesn't just sit there and look pretty, but it also becomes a home, a safe haven for the birds of the air where they make their nest, where they produce offspring, where they raise their little ones and prepare them to fly on their own. The kingdom of God is like that. He doesn't give us the fullness of His kingdom here. He gives it in bits and pieces. And in it, it, other parables explain, it grows. And it has to be worked into our life. It has to be kneaded in worked in, but it grows. It starts one size, but it increases over time if we want it to, if we will constantly seek it, if we will constantly look for it, and we will allow His leadership, His lordship, His way of doing life, His way of being in this life, if we will let that dominate us, let that rule in us, His kingdom will grow so strong. It will grow so strong to where that He tells us, seek after that which can be big in me. Seek after that which can hold me and my life together. Seek after that which can hold me and my life up. Because let's face it, if we could hold ourselves together, we would be good at it by now. We wouldn't be falling apart. We wouldn't be losing sleep. We wouldn't have conflicts in our life if we could hold it all together. We can't. But there is a thing that can. The kingdom of God. And he says, hey, that's how you not live a life of worry. That's how you not let worry dominate you. Seek that which can hold your life up and make you strong. For in fact, he, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the kingdom of God is actually unshakable. All the trees are susceptible to the wind when it blows. Lot can break depending on the force of the wind. Lot can be picked up and uprooted and moved. But the kingdom of God's tree Like this mustard seed that grows, it's not susceptible to the forces of nature. It's not susceptible to the forces of this world. No, it stays steady. It stays anchored. It stays strong. It says it is unshakable and unmovable. It can't be bent. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would put all my eggs in that basket. If I'm going to climb a tree, I'm going to climb the one that's called kingdom of God. And here's the thing about it. It's branches aren't way up where you can't reach them. It starts here. It starts by saying, Lord, you know what I got going on. Life is heavy and hard. Put the adjectives in there. We all have them. Some of us have explicit words. Put them in there. His ears can handle it. He knows. And it starts here. Then you ever been out in the country or somebody's yard and you see a swing on a tree? Those big ones, man, you pull it back and that thing just seems to glide through the air. Picture yourself swinging on the tree of the kingdom and letting God the Father just look after you and enjoy watching you with a smile. Some of you have been so sad, so grieved, so burdened, so heavy laden. God wants to restore your joy. God wants to put a smile back on your face, not a fake one, but a real one that comes from the depths of your heart. Some of you have been trying to make ends meet and make sense of some stuff in this life. God's like, look, I'm just waiting for you to let me in, let me have it, and let me sort it out. Some of you try to fix a problem, before inviting God into the problem. God said, look, it's not that you can't. It's not that I can't give you grace or wisdom to do it. It's that you have failed to even ask me to help you in the first place. He so said, because when you try to do it on your own, you screw it all up. I don't know about you, but that's me. But when you let me in, I seem to sort it all out make it all happen. I don't know who that's for. But in closing, here's what Paul writes to us in Ephesians, or excuse me, in Philippians 4. Out of the passion. He says, "Don't be pulled in different directions. Worried about a thing, Be saturated in prayer throughout each day. Offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Tell Him every detail of your life. Then God's wonderful peace that transcends human understanding will guard your heart and mind Jesus Christ. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always, In other words, if God did it then, don't you know He can do it now? The grace of God was big in their life. Surely the grace of God wants to be big in my life. Then He says, put into practice the example of all that you have heard from me or seen in my life, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Put into practice In other words, keep doing this. This is not just on Sunday. You pray and tell Him everything. Every day. Jesus said, hey, don't worry about everyday life. If all our problems were solved on a Sunday and no other problems the rest of the week, we'd be alright. But that's not the way it works. Because he also tells us back in chapter 5 or beginning of chapter 6 actually, pray to the Lord and ask Him, give us today our daily bread. We're called to be daily dependent on Him. And then Paul's like this. He's like, I want you to know, I know what I'm talking about here. I'm not just somebody telling you, and selling out a conference and telling you how to do life and overcome everything and never been through anything, Paul goes on he tells this this in verse 12. He said, Look, I know what it means to lack. Anybody know what it means to lack? I know what it means to lack. He said, I know what it means to experience overwhelming abundance too. He says, I'm trained in the secret of overcoming all things. Tell us, Paul, what's that secret? Whether in fullness or in hunger whether i have plenty or whether i have little i find that the strength of christ explosive power infuses me to conquer every difficulty every single one i'd like to live that way but a uh, truth be told I seem to live a lot lighter when I have a lot more. That may just be me. What's this Jesus getting at? What's our Lord telling us? What's our Savior trying to get to his followers from a mountain telling us this sermon is so long? The days are long, but the years are short. You don't have your whole life ahead of you. None of us are guaranteed it because he ends with Tomorrow, don't worry about it. It has enough worries on its own. If you're like me, I like to think through every possible contingency there is out there. I like to plan it. I like to be prepared for it. I like to have this if that happens. Not that we can't prepare. Not that the Bible teaches against planning, it does not what Jesus is saying. Don't let tomorrow dominate your today. Tomorrow may or may not be there. If it is, I'm with you and you're going to conquer. You're going to be alright. I'm going to help you through it. Come on, if anybody has anything with this today, if you're like Jesus, help me. Like me, I'm going to invite you to stand. But if you got it all together, Listen, I want you to come and pray because I need you. If you got your whole life together. I'm not praying because I have it together. I'm praying because I'm just trying to tell you, look. I'm tempted to worry. I'm tempted to hold my treasures on this earth. I'm tempted to look for the allurement of what this world can give me. Just like the rest of us. Let me pray with you. Let's lift our hands. Oh, God, we just do what Paul says to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Pray. Lord, everything in our life. Some of us may feel like the list doesn't end. Something new keeps popping up. Whatever it is, Lord, in our life right now, we tell you about it. We bring it to you. But we will not be ruled. We will not allow our thoughts to be ruled and dominated by fear and worry and the unknown or the fear of missing out or the fear of failing, whatever it is. No, you tell us, hey, fix your thoughts. Make yourself think on that which is good and holy and pure and righteous and noble and honorable and respectful and merciful. And we fix our thoughts on all the good, glorious things you have done And thank you that you are able to do it all again in our life today. So where we are today, we're in our lack or in our abundance. You have given us your spirit, the explosive power of Christ in us, to overcome and conquer every difficulty that comes our way. And so I pray today for all of us here and all of us watching online that we would be recipients of that in us and to go out and live it in your name for your glory. Use our life to help others find their way in Jesus. In the name of the Lord we pray, amen.